0: Welcome to the Women's Health Wisdom and Wine Podcast, a bi weekly conversation with practitioners, providers, patients, and healers about complex reproductive medicine and women's health challenges, the value of an integrative approach to these challenges, many of the women's health topics you're already thinking about but uncomfortable talking about, and my personal favorite, wine. I'm your host, Dr. Lorena White, an integrative reproductive medicine and women's health provider, licensed acupuncturist, clinical herbalist, and a former labor support doula in the Washington, DC metro area. My goal is to bring women's health specific evidence and expertise to the forefront of daily health and wellness news through informative conversations. If you have ideas, questions, and specific topics that you would like us to cover in future podcast episodes, please leave them in the comment section or send us an email. To learn more, visit the website at www. As you enjoy the podcast, conversations, and wine time, please remember that this podcast is not designed to be a substitute for a bona fide relationship with a licensed or certified healthcare professional. In today's episode, Dr. Gabriella Van Sickle talks with me about pelvic floor physical therapy, when and what conditions it can be utilized for, interstitial cystitis, and diastasis recti. Let's listen. And welcome to this edition of Women's Health Wisdom and Wine Podcast. Today our guest is Gabriella Van Sickle. She is a pelvic floor physical therapist. And when she was in high school, she went to physical therapy for an injury that kept her from horseback riding. And this was her first exposure to physical therapy. And when she was in junior when she was a junior in high school, she went back to the same PT clinic and wound up being a volunteer there for the summer. She absolutely loved her experience with the physical therapists because they could figure out what was going on with people's bodies, helping them to recover from pain and restoring their quality of life. She went on to Simon Simmons College in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, because they had an accelerated PT program there. So she did three years of undergraduate and went directly into the three-year doctorate Program in Physical Therapy. She graduated with a bachelor's degree in Exercise Science with a minor in Psychology, and in 2013, she received her Doctorate of Physical Therapy with distinction. And after graduating, she went to Richmond, Virginia, for a two-year residency in functional medis- functional manual therapy, and earned her certificate certification in 2015. After that, uh, she went on to become interested in pelvic floor, and quickly took to pelvic health classes and in 2018 became a board-certified pelvic health specialist. In 2017, she helped establish the pelvic health program for an outpatient hospital center, and also in 2017, she and her husband opened their own private practice in Rockville, Maryland. She specializes in both female and male pelvic floor dysfunction, as well as chronic pain and patients who have not done well with traditional physical therapy. Well, 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 Gabriella, you're finally here. And if your bio doesn't say it all, then I'm gonna say it, you are truly amazing, just like Jim and the holograms.
1: And Thank so, you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just truly amazing. You, I, I've already known your background, of course, um, and just hearing it just explains again why you are a superstar. So let's get started. So tell our audience um, in general, I know you're the best pelvic floor PT on the planet. um, And most people don't know that until they get to work with you and then they become believers. So tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how and why you became a pelvic floor PT outside of what we just talked about in your bio.
2: Sure. Yeah. So thank you so much for having me. Um, So yeah, so I, my, PT journey kind of started like right around high school. Um, I thought, I always knew I wanted to be a manual therapist. Um, I always did things with my hands, horseback riding, cello, um, and I truly believe like even going through PT school, you don't really know what's going on with someone's body unless you touch it. Um, so that's kind of what led me down to the residency and functional manual therapy. Um, and the pelvic floor was really the only part of the body we didn't touch during that residency in the two years there. Um, and I'd have women occasionally telling me like, oh yeah, like I have urinary incontinence or we're treating someone with a diastasis or a back pain um, that was postpartum or pregnancy related. And some of them just weren't getting back a hundred percent. And so I was like, well, like I should probably explore this. Uh, so I started taking pelvic floor classes. And I mean, I was, I was young, I was 23, 24. Um, and it was like, oh my gosh, like, I didn't know any of this. Like, no, like women don't talk about it. If you don't have kids, you definitely, you don't really hear about this. Um, so was opened up to this whole new world of pelvic floor dysfunction and what these people have to live with. And. With my background in functional manual therapy, I was like, well, this is ridiculous. Hey, most of this stuff isn't difficult to fix. It just takes someone who really understands the body and can look at that person and say, these are your symptoms, but this is what's going on, so let's fix it. Um... And then once word gets out that you start treating pelvic floor and that you can help people, then they just come out of the woodwork. And right. then it went from like <laughs> a couple patients to it's my entire caseload.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Um, many people's first introduction to pelvic floor physical therapy was amidst the bad rap and predatory nature of Larry Nasser and his involvement with the U.S. National Gymnastics Team. How did that reframe or frame your approach to pelvic floor physical therapy?
2: Yeah. I mean, that was true. I mean, that's truly awful. And the, the poor people that had to go through that. Um, and it's important to recognize that like, that obviously is not pelvic floor physical therapy. Absolutely. Um, it, it helped to kind of like reframed it in that consent is so crucial. Um, and so I really went back and made sure that I was providing the right education. I tried to create a comfortable environment, um, where when patients walk in, they immediately feel comfortable. Um, Mm. and so like body language is super important. Being able to feel like, how anxious is this person? How uncomfortable are they? Um, and making them feel comfortable like in my, in my space, Mm. um, and so making sure that there's never me between them and the door, um, how I position my chair with them. Um, I try to always be eye level or below my patient. So it's, it's not like, Oh, like you're the authority figure because it's very easy to feel overwhelmed and feel like you're losing your voice. Um, and we're talking about really sensitive stuff. I mean, pee, poop, sex, like you have to feel comfortable. So really making sure that the education component is there while this is a normal thing. Like right. you, we don't talk about it. It's very stigmatized. Um, we're, ta- we're using words that aren't used in everyday language, but you're not alone. You're not isolated. The whole practice built on this. Um, so you're definitely not alone. Right. Um, and just making sure that that person never loses their sense of confidence and control over their body. Um, and I'll always check in, throughout the session, is this okay? Do you need me to stop? Are we okay to keep going? And making sure that they understand that it's okay for them to say no. Right. Um, and it's not gonna change their outcomes. It's not gonna change their chance of success. And they're not disappointing me as a practitioner either. Um, so really making sure that we constantly keep those lines of communication open so that no one ever feels like they're in a situation where they're getting a treatment um, that they're not comfortable with.
0: Right. And I, even as you talk, I think about the fact that pelvic floor physical therapy even seems a little bit more intimate and even more vulnerable than your traditional gyneco- gyneco- gynecologist visit. Mm-hmm. And the nature seems way more intimate, but also could potentially have the aspects of more vulnerability and being more traumatic, um, given that someone's p- past history. Talk to us about that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So that's definitely I want to know like where this person is coming from. Um, what were your past experiences like? Is there pain? Is it definitely with the with the people who are coming in with pain, like urinary incontinence and um, fecal incontinence and that sort of stuff. I'm always careful with them and, and see like what their experiences were. But especially when pain is involved, um, when did it start? Where is that? Is there an association that you have um, with when this pain started or when this pain occurs, if it's not constant, um, and going back to really helping that person understand the anatomy and physiology about like why this is going on. Um, and then what, what the process looks like. So I have pelvic models, I have pictures and making sure they're underst- they're going to understand like, this is where I want to touch. This is what I want to assess. And this is how I'm going to do it. Um. And making sure every step of the way like is that okay if it's not okay it's fine um because anatomy says we can work on other places and still have an effect on this area that you're having pain Um, so really just walking them through every step of the process um most people don't know much about their anatomy and how things function because this is the first time they're really getting to sit down with someone and tell them their story Um, and most of these people want to tell their story, but if you go see Mm -hmm. your, your GYN, you have like four minutes, you don't have time to tell the, the Mm -hmm. GYN doesn't know what to do with a person like that. They don't have time to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so just them being able to tell their story really does help them feel a little bit more comfortable, um, and allows us to, to get into the nitty gritty and the intimate stuff a little bit faster, um. And education, just like really, just like oh, that makes so much sense. You can see the light bulbs starting to go off. Um, and most people are usually like, yeah, let's do this. Like, I want, I want to go. I want, I want this to. Right. So I want you to assess it. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's 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 really cool to, to be able to see someone going from ooh, like I don't know what this is. Like you want to touch where? You want to look at what? Mm-hmm. To oh, okay. Like, well, do I take my pants off now? Yeah. Open up sesame. <laughs> no, no, open sesame. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.
0: Hold on. <laughs> Let's, let's have <laughs> drinks first. And speaking of drinks, could you let us know the wine that you chose for today and why? Yes. Well, it's, so it's delicious. I, it's absolutely delicious.
2: Excellent. Oh, it's so good. So I chose the RDV friends and family. Um, mm-hmm. it's a red blend. It's a local wine, um, out of Virginia. Um, I'm a wine snob so Virginia wine usually isn't my jam um but this one is very good it doesn't taste like it's from from Virginia um and I chose it because I just one it's really good but I love the name um I thought friends and family was a perfect setting for what we're doing um just getting together and talking about stuff and I mean you're you definitely are a friend and becoming more of a family member um And it's
0: just so easy to drink too. Yes, I mean it goes down so smooth. I am not a red blend person. (laughs) I am also a little bit of a wine snob, and I am not one to do a red blend typically. And but I'm thinking, you know, in camaraderie, we're going to do this. You know, you selected it, so I want to, you know, do the thing. And I opened it up. I was like, okay, so far so good. And it was just like, ooh this is not what I was anticipating. So it's very, very good. So when you uh, will include all that information in the show notes. But getting back, um, many people's first believe first believe that pelvic floor physical therapy is solely for women. And you also see men. So talk to us about that dynamic and how you transition from one gender to the next.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So Men, I mean, everyone has a pelvic floor. So men can also have pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, similar to, similar issues that women have, um, incontinence, pain. They can have perineal pain, testicular pain, penile pain, um, painful sex, either with painful erections or ejaculation. Um, and so they, they have a wide gamut of things that, that can happen with them as well.
0: Right.
2: I think, like, with pelvic floor, like men that's like the one area where where men male research isn't as far along as female research um just saying something because there's not a say that again because that's not that is.
0: When you just said that i was like wait a minute has i have i ever even heard that statement before that there's more research done on wow okay i like that that's something men are ahead
2: (laughs) Um, yeah. So, and it's same thing that, that women go through like, Oh, like I feel so alone. Like no one talks about this. Like I must be the only one, my, my OB or my GYN or my primary care. Like they're not asking me about sex and is it painful? They're not asking me Mm -hmm. if I'm leaking or how many pads I'm going through. Um, and so as isolating as that is for women, it's, super isolating for men as well. Right. Um, women, I feel like, for the most part, like if they get together with some girlfriends or moms, or like they'll talk about this sort of stuff. Men right. really don't want to talk about it. Because um, no. it goes
0: against everything that represents masculinity and manhood. Exactly. And to admit that, yeah, there's something, dysfunction, not just sexual dysfunction, but just the machinery and the mechanics mm-hmm. of such that don't even have to deal with sex are kind of out of whack. That means, yeah, that's really... An insult to potentially to that basic thought right. about manhood and prowess. Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I was. I'm always. I've always been big into treating anyone if you have the skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of pelvic floor therapists don't want to treat men, or they'll only treat women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely knew like I don't. I don't want to just like isolate myself to one or the other. So I do treat men. I'd say about about forty percent of my caseload is is male. Okay. um my husband also treats pelvic floor and the pelvic floor cases he has are, are all men um and i mean similar to women they come in they're terrified they don't know what's mm-hmm. wrong with them is this going to be something that i'm going to have to deal with for the rest of my life they've been right. bounced from urologist to urologist they've had seventeen thousand tests done and Im- mm-hmm. imaging and all they've heard is you're normal. Everything um, is fine.
0: There's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. We can't find anything. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, you know, you're suffering, you know, you're miserable, you know, there's something wrong and exactly. you're just getting the message that everything's fine and, or mm-hmm. suck it up and deal with it.
2: Right. It's like, oh, yeah. it must be in your head. Maybe mm-hmm. go see a psychologist or something. Right, um, right. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, it's really, I mean, it's fun to treat this population because you can make such a difference in their quality of life. Um, yeah. And men are no exception. I mean, I, I've never felt uncomfortable with with men um, if in general when they're coming in for something like this. They they see me, I'm a woman, so sometimes they don't really want to talk about it. it it's just like <laughs> if, if as a woman you see a male practitioner, it's like, I don't want to talk to you about those parts. You don't have those parts. Right. Um, right. And so, again, it, it goes back to education making sure they understand like what the anatomy is, why they could be having these symptoms, what we can do, why it's a good thing nothing has come up on these tests. Um, right, because that right. means physical therapy has a really good chance of working. Right. Um, and making sure that they understand like what the evaluation and treatment entails. Um, and Say that last part
0: again, actually. Say that last part again, because I think that's antithetical to what some people believe if it's not showing up on the scans then maybe I am crazy. If mm-hmm. it's not showing up on the scans and nobody can see anything, then maybe it is all in my head. Maybe I am, maybe there is something wrong with me mentally
2: mm-hmm.
0: and they jump right over that. So say that part again about it's a good idea that, or potentially that physical therapy work for you. Speak to that again about yeah, absolutely not saying up on scans doesn't necessarily mean your diagnosis or the prognosis is bad or poor.
2: Bad. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's actually my favorite when, when people come in and say, well, I, I don't know, like maybe it is in my head because my MRI was normal and my urinalysis was normal, my blood works fine and all the imaging I've had is normal and they say there's nothing wrong with me and I've seen the urologist and the GYN mm-hmm. or whoever it is and they've done an exam and nothing is, nothing is abnormal. Um, that's usually music to my ears. Cause that means right. that you don't have tumors. There's no cancer. There's no really bad underlying condition that's going right. on. That's contributing to your pain. Um, none, no other practitioner knows how to assess muscles the way that physical therapists do. So when, when practitioners are performing internal exams, they're looking for different things. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm looking for what's the muscle tone like? What's your strength like? What's your coordination like? Can you contract and relax the pelvic floor? Um, And if that is dysfunctional, that could totally lead to some of these problems that you're having because now you have this weird pressure on the nervous system and that can create the burning that you're having or the problem with urination defecation or the inability to have penetrative sex. Um, and that's not going to show up on any type of imaging or scans or blood work. It's going to be normal. Um, yeah. so it's important to go through that process because if you come into my clinic and you sit down and you tell me you have all these things going on and you haven't seen an MD and you haven't had these things cleared, right. it's like, mm, like we can look, but you need to go get that figured out and make sure that there yeah. isn't anything that we're missing. Um, I'm ruling but out some things there-
0: before we jump to something that it could very well not be
2: right. Exactly. But if all those are normal, come on in because there's a (laughs) huge chance that we can help you. (laughs) Winner.
0: Yes. All right. So I've already told you a million times that how amazing I think you are. Um, One, nobody believes me when I say she can make you feel better and you're going to feel better. Even if she doesn't do an internal exam, nobody believes me when I say that. And then Literally, as they're leaving the appointment with you, they're emailing me or calling to say she didn't even do any internal exam and I can feel better. I, I told you that six times you didn't. Believe me. <laughs> um, I told you she's amazing. I told you she's really good at what she does. Trust me. I've gotten you this far. I wouldn't lead you astray. Um, but I think that's one of the most important things that patients realize because they think, again, that it's going to be just another almost violate violation type feeling that they're going to go in and it's going to be traumatic, even if it's going to help them feel better, it's going to be traumatic. And knowing that you're so skilled and you have such healing hands that you're able to get someone from where they are to feeling better, not only in one treatment, even if it's not all resolved, but get them feeling better improvement, noticeable in one session. And without having to do an internal exam. I think that's one of the other things that separates you from gynecologists, other pelvic floor physical therapists, because you're just amazing at what you do. So speaking of amazing, we often talk about our favorites and what conditions and what we like to treat, what we like to work with. So share with us which conditions are in your niche and why.
2: Yeah, so my favorites are definitely the complicated ones. Um, You've You've had pain for, or dysfunction for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Mm. Um, no one knows what's wrong with you. You've seen chiropractors, PTs, pelvic PTs, acupuncture, um, breathing coaches, you name it. You've seen everyone. Mm. Um, and nothing has worked. Those are my favorites. Um, mm. So either chronic pelvic pain, chronic pain in general. Um, I like the weird cases. I like yeah. I like the challenge. Yes. Um, mostly because... That's where
0: we connect. I was like, oh. Yeah nothing let's else let's, has worked okay challenge accepted <laughs> throw down right. that gauntlet and i think um, that, and it, recently when we talked i there was a i asked one of the patients i said you know have you seen a pelvic floor physical therapist before yeah but you know we didn't make any progress yeah but it wasn't really a good experience yeah but and that's when i said are you willing to give it one more shot? are you willing to try one more pelvic floor physical therapist appointment and they're like, yeah, I mean, sure, not with any high hopes and without right. fail, they're like, oh my gosh, no one has ever done that before. And I'm like, I know, I know, I know. So again, <laughs> continue with what you like to treat.
2: Um, yeah, so that's that's my favorite. And again, it just comes back down to really being able to just take the time listen to the person's story. Um, like on my, on the forms, I have people fill out, like, I really don't have a, a ton of stuff on there and there's mm-hmm. not a place for them to write down what's going on. Right. Like they have a body chart, like circle where your pain is all that, all that good mm-hmm. stuff. But, um, I don't even tell people when they call to make an appointment, like, don't worry about writing down your story. Um, yeah. because I'm going to have you say it. We'll anyway, have plenty of time that, to do that. Right. Exactly. And it's like, I yeah. want to hear it. I want to yeah. hear where do they start? Um, some people, like, there's always a reason why people start at the place mm-hmm. they start from. So I want to know, where, where do you start from? Like, right. how far back do we have to go? Um, mm. What sort of... Like emotional connections, do you have to what's going yes. on? What kind of psychological connections do you have to what's going on? Because all of that feeds into into this this pain or this this discomfort or dysfunction that you're having, and it's going to change where I start treating you. Um, right. Sometimes people come in and they've had chronic pelvic pain for ten years, and they go back and they start from well, when I was twelve, I fell and hit my head on I, I, on the concrete stairs, on I slipped on ice, yeah. um, and it's like okay, well. I want to look at like your head and neck first, because there's like that neural dural connection. Um, and so many people with pelvic floor issues also have headaches and TMJ issues. So it really is important to understand where that person has come from and what experiences they've been through. And a lot of people don't have that training. Um, I mean, it's it's definitely I've taken time out of my schedule and out of my profession and career specifically to look at that stuff. Um, mm. And it's a lot of work and it takes a lot of money, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it is so rewarding. And it, Rewarded, just, it really yes. helps you understand what's going on with their specific system. So that way you can find the right area to work and touch them in the right ways and give them the right things to do at home so that they start to make progress and see changes. Um, mm-hmm. And the other thing is just to give them a little bit of hope, like we're gonna do things and I'm gonna ask you questions and that you haven't had people ask you before. Precisely. So it will kind of help them figure out like, oh, like this is different. This isn't just the mm-hmm. run of the mill, blah, blah, blah. The this other isn't gynecologist that
0: I've had. 2.0 or the next phase to just do the right. same thing that we've been doing over and over. And mm-hmm. I stress that when I, you know, tell people about you because it isn't just going to the gynecologist and rehashing the same story over and over again. It is questions that you've never been asked before. And sometimes I find they don't even know the answer to those questions because they've never mm-hmm. been asked some, right. what I feel are some of the basic questions, especially when you're going to assess that area of the body. Mm-hmm. So you've talked about your favorites and what you like to treat and the complexity aspect, and cause it's a challenge. What, do you find are just the common ordinary conditions that people most come to see you for?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, urinary incontinence is huge, um, especially in the female population, Okay. Uh, either immediately postpartum or just kind of on and off um, since postpartum. And then another big spike in like perimenopausal, postmenopausal women. Okay. Um, that's a big one. Painful sex—that's a really common one, um, especially in young women, um, mm. early early twenties, mid twenties, all the way to early um, thirties. What do you they, what do you think
0: accounts for that age range specifically? Especially because that sounds opposite to what I would think. I would right, think more yeah, of I like mean, a menopausal like, area or someone older, mm-hmm. um, speaking more sport toward vaginal dryness, things of that nature, and hormonal fluctuations. What do you attribute? that painful sex in that population too.
2: Yeah. And everyone's a little bit different, but a mm-hmm. lot of it comes down to stress. Okay. Um, and a lot of these women that are coming in they're they're, they're very successful, driven, motivated mm. women. Um, right. And it's natural to hold, like if you're holding stress in your system for your pelvic floor to get tight. Um, right. And I think that over time, holding that tension there just develops into really tight pelvic floor muscles. The vaginal opening can't relax. Um, there you, a lot of them are usually on some type of hormonal birth control. So their hormones are a little bit off. Um, they, with the muscles being that tight, you'll be dry. You're not getting good blood flow to the area. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think all of that combined kind of contributes to, to, to what, what's going on and what they're feeling. Um, Mm -hmm. and then they become sexually active and they're like, oh my gosh, like this is not fun. This is not pleasant. This is super uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, and the other thing is a lot of them have some underlying gut issue, uh, going Mm. on. So they have, um, constipation, they'll have food sensitivities. So there's something going on higher up in the system where all that fascia is connected and it's it's contributing to to that tight pelvic floor so there's there's a lot of things going on but a lot of it's like stress reaction to stress something else happening hormones and bam
0: then you have this and it it just dawned on me even as you were talking like the pelvic floor is full of muscles when some people carry their stress in their shoulders Mm -hmm. some people carry their stress in their back and then you have the back pain and you have but then sometimes you carry your stress and other musculature, and that could be your pelvic floor, and that's where a cascade of different things can manifest. But no one is even connecting it to stress. No one's even connecting yeah. it to, oh, you have a stressful lifestyle and your pelvic floor is affected. No, because we're nipping. Oh, go to massage because your, you know, your back is tight or your shoulders are tight, um, right. and that's like the natural progression. But no one's really, in my opinion, has made that connection between your pelvic floor is also full of musculature, and I say, a lot of musculature holding all of the things in place and doing (laughs) all the things that they need to do uh, so that, you know, we can enjoy sex and we can enjoy, you know, different positions and different places and all those Mm -hmm. different things. So I think that's important um, to just kind of make that connection. And we talked about these common conditions. What are some of the conditions that people will be surprised to know can be addressed with pelvic floor physical therapy?
2: Um, I think constipation is a big one that a lot of people are surprised with. Um, they think it's more of a dietary issue. I'm not Mm -hmm. having enough fiber. I'm not drinking enough water. I'm not active enough. Um... That one, that one's a big one, because I ask every patient, how are your bowel movements? How often right. do you have them? What do they look like? Here, here's a picture. Like, which one is <laughs> yes. it? Um,
0: when you can get comfortable I... talking about poop, that's when you realize, yes, we're no longer just, it's not about practitioner patient. It's right. really about, I need to see your bowel movements. And we're going to talk about it in detail. The exactly. smell, the color, the consistency, the frequency, all of it. And yes, everybody poops. And if you're not, that's when we have an issue. We have
2: an issue. <laughs> um, And if you're constipated, it's going to put more strain on the pelvic floor. So a lot of times, like if we help loosen up the pelvic floor, restore proper breathing mechanics, um, work through any like lower abdominal tightness that's going on, people's bowel movements get better. Um, Mm. and so that, that one's really, really interesting to see. And then I think the other one, um, interstitial cystitis. Um, Mm -hmm. that's a, that's definitely something that, that pelvic floor physical therapy can help. Um, a lot of people think that it's like, oh, I just have to take these drugs or I have to change my Mm -hmm. diet. Um, and it's something that I just have to live with and I'll have flare ups. Um, yeah, just as a
0: clarification point, can you explain to us in the audience what interstitial cystitis is?
2: Sure. Yeah. So interstitial cystitis is painful bladder syndrome. Mm -hmm. Um, People who have IC for short, they get this pain in their pain and pressure in their bladder. um, And the only way to make it better is to urinate. And people who have really, really bad IC, like they'll be urinating 60, 70, 80 times a day. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just like, I mean, you don't have to pee that often. And it's just little dribbles that come out, but they're so uncomfortable. Um, And And I can see how some people
0: think that's a really bad UTI. And they're not thinking, they're like, oh, I just need an antibiotic, get this Mm -hmm. taken care of and knock this out. But the antibiotic probably doesn't work because there's some other stuff that's going on. But yet they continue to suffer because they've taken probably every antibiotic known to mankind several times, several courses. Mm -hmm. Now they're developing other issues, I'm sure, with their reproductive system in terms of vaginal infections and everything else because the antibiotics now have killed all the natural flora, all the wonderful (laughs) flora that you need. Um, and they still haven't gotten their main symptom addressed in a meaningful way. So very good. I like that. Continue. Yeah.
2: Um, and so a lot of times, I mean those pelvic floor muscles are ridiculously tight. I mean, if you have pain, you're going to be tight. And Mm -hmm. then if you're having to urinate that frequently, you're, I mean, you're overtaxing those muscles. Um, Mm -hmm. so being able to assess that and work through like the lower abdominal tissue, work through those pelvic floor muscles. Um, usually at that point they figured out like what their triggers are from a diet, from a diet standpoint. They, a lot of times, I mean, these people know a lot about the pelvic floor when they come Mm -hmm. in because they've just scoured the internet for, for different things. Um, but you can really provide a lot of relief for, for those people. Um, are you going to fix it? No, I mean, if it's true, I see, that's not going to go away, but that doesn't mean that you have to live at home near a bathroom because you have to pee 80 times a day. Right, Um, right. We can reduce that maybe if you can only pee 20 times a day. Like Then you could actually go out and go to the grocery store or meet a friend for a coffee or something like that. Um, So quality of life is is huge. And then I'd say for men, probably the one that's most commonly like, what, you can do something for that, is... um, like enlarged prostate, um, because people will be like, well, but it's enlarged, like what can you do? It's like, well, yeah, but there's compensations that occur with that. So it's like your prostate gets bigger, it's harder to urinate, it's harder to have a bowel movement. So you're pushing more, you're squeezing, you're contorting yourself into these positions. We're not going to change the size of your prostate, but we can change everything around it. So it's more functional Mm -hmm. and coordinated. So you're not having to do like acrobats on the toilet.
0: There you go. That's yeah. that's an easy one. That's an easy <laughs> one. That's very easy. And that's a relief, I'm sure for your patients as well. Mm-hmm. You mentioned diastasis a little bit earlier on when we we're having another um, aspect of the conversation. Talk to us about what happens after a diastasis recti occurs. Um, walk us through your process of how you help women heal this common postpartum challenge.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's a big one. Um, so diastasis recti is when the abdominal muscles split um, mm-hmm. to accommodate the, the growing belly for, for baby. Um, and so once baby comes out, now you have these abdominal muscles that, that don't connect. They're not firing. Um, you have what they call like the mama pooch. Um, and it's like even months and months postpartum, you're like, I just can't get rid of this. And I can't get my core back. I'm not strong. Um, So first we want to look at, look at the whole system. We'll look at posture, like what's, what's going on with that. Um, we'll look to see like one, how big is the diastasis? Um, and then two, like, are you able to develop tension within that abdominal musculature? A lot of times you can't, and that's why you're, you're still having, still having issues, Um, so I'll just kind of palpate down into the belly where that, that split, those split muscles are and have someone just lift their head or try and think about like curling up, um, and feel like is there tension within those abdominal tissues Okay. Um, from a treatment standpoint. So just to kind of see where they are from a baseline, like what's your function level like from a treatment standpoint, um, we really want to help get things mechanically working again. So anytime you have a split. Um, so you think about something opening? It's too loose in the front, but then it's too tight in the back because everything's kind of right. retracting backwards. Okay. So we do a lot of soft tissue work to the low back, the hips, working around into the abdomen to really try and help those tissues lengthen again to try and find each other. Um, From a cosmetic standpoint, obviously, it's like, yeah, I want the gap to close. I don't want this, Mm -hmm. like, split down the center of my body. Um, Depending on how big the diastasis is, we can make a big difference in closing that gap. Okay, Um, good. From a... PT standpoint and a functional standpoint, I care less about the gap and more about the tension that you're able to develop because if you can develop strength and tension, you'll have less low back pain, urinary incontinence will improve, pelvic pain if you have any will get better, Um, your ability to pick up your kid, um, pull the milk out of the refrigerator will improve. Um okay. so then once everything is okay from a mechanical standpoint then we go into the strengthening and really find what positions are best for you so that you can activate these muscles again and retrain those muscles to get stronger and fire and activate and and hold in this position um and everyone's different and that's that's right. what's hard because there's so many things online that are like oh do this eight week program for mm-hmm. diastasis recti do this 12 step whatever um for a good number of women it helps um but for a large number it doesn't and so right. that's where pt comes in because you get the position that activates those muscles is not what's in that program. Um, right. And then going back to the education, making sure the patient understands that. And it's like, okay, like feel this, see how this is tight. Yes, great. Now go in this position, see how you don't feel that. So that right. position isn't functional for us right now. Right. We'll work towards this. This is how we make this more difficult and challenge the system to get you stronger. Um, and it's really successful. I mean, I'd say the vast majority, I mean, nine out of 10 women do fabulous. Right. Um, and they're able to get back. It takes time. It takes time. I mean, we're a definitely a quick fix society and why isn't this better? It's like, well, you were pregnant for nine months. Yeah. Um,
0: You're still nursing.
2: You know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and right. There's, and I think a lot of, and I, again, that's such an, um, an amazing point, And important point is that a lot of times there's this evolution of getting a condition acquiring a condition and we don't take into account this has been happening over course of years for some Mm -hmm. people decades um and then you start therapy you start changing your lifestyle you start doing something and in a couple weeks you're like but it's not it's not better Mm
2: -hmm.
0: yeah but you've been working with this for the last 12 years or you've been working with this okay let's not say 12 years let's say for the last six let's say for the last six months And your body has undergone gone a lot of changes to get you to this point. And a lot of times it takes twice as long to undo some stuff that happened very easily or that, you know, that slippery slope. So it is work and it is going to take some time and some dedication and consistency. Um, but again, you're emphasizing that it it can happen and it will happen, um, with adequate time and patience. Absolutely. So when a person is too late, it's yes. never too
2: late. I mean, I'll have patients come in and they're coming in for something else and we'll find that they have a diastasis. Oh, well, my youngest is 10 years old. That's okay. Because it'll <laughs> right. make a difference. Right. Um, so it's it don't feel like if you're like, oh, well, shoot, like I was never assessed for that or I was and my practitioner told me, oh, you, there's nothing you can do. Um, mm. It's never too late.
0: Okay. That's, that's good to know. I like that. That's very good to know because I think a lot of people do have that. Mm -hmm. Thought processes my kids grown. So this is just something I'm going to have to deal with and I think that's the message for a lot of women in a lot of Conditions. It's just a part of being a woman. It's just a part of having birth It's just a part of you know, the birth process or a part of delivering your baby vaginally And yeah now just suck it up buttercup and get on with your life Mm -hmm. and it doesn't necessarily have to be that way So that's good to know Um, When a person is looking for a pelvic floor PT What questions should they ask? And what should they be looking for so they can find their Gabriella?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, most public floor PTs, like will take, make the time to talk to you, like before you even become a patient. So Mm -hmm. that's huge. Like being able to talk to that person, like, what do you do? Um, what, what is public floor physical therapy? Um, just to be able to kind of establish a little bit of a rapport with that person. Um, How long have you been treating? Did you have mentorship? Um, Because some people, they've been treating forever, but they haven't really changed their techniques. And it's like, well, Mm. they might not be a good fit for you. But someone who says, oh, I've been treating for three years, but they had a mentor, they Mm. might be a little bit better because they've had mentorship, they've had extra training, they've had an experienced set of eyes watching them and helping them and getting them through the process where they didn't have to learn everything by trial and error. Um, so what kind of education do you have? Were you mentored? Um, and just ask like how much experience do you have treating whatever condition that you're coming in for? Um, what's your approach? Um, and if you as a patient have concerns, let's say you have a history of trauma, you had a bad experience, um, you're just scared, you have a lot of pain, whatever it is your concern is, ask them, like, I have mm-hmm. trauma, I've had trauma, or I'm afraid of this, I've had a really bad experience with internal work, like, mm-hmm. how would you approach this? What would you do knowing that? Um, mm-hmm. And then just go with your gut. I mean, right. your gut never lies. So if, if you feel like, oh, like, That's I think I, I think this person really gets me and like, listens to me and understands, go for it. If you feel like they don't even have the time to answer these questions, they might not be a good fit for you at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially people that have had chronic pain or they've, they've dealt with this for a long period of time, they're going to know a lot of information. So don't be afraid to ask the PT. like, well, these articles say blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, see what research they know. If you know more, if your research knowledge is better than the PT, it's probably not a good fit either. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I love when patients ask questions. Um, It makes me know that they're invested and that they know a lot of what's going on. Um, And it pushes me too. I mean, it challenges me. It makes me sometimes think about things differently. Um, And I say, yeah, keep reading the research. (laughs) I like it. I like
0: it. So what resources, speaking of research, what resources do you suggest that people who are interested in learning more about pelvic floor physical therapy what resources do you suggest what resources do you advise people to look into and what do you use yourself
2: um as far as resources like if you're a patient um a lot of pelvic floor pts will have will have blogs like on their website and so they'll have like different topics so that's always a good place to start um A lot of times they'll reference either articles or books or or wherever they got their information from. So that's also a a good place to check as well. Um, There's a lot of books out there too. Um, There's a good one, Pelvic Pain Explained. It's written by two physical therapists. um, And they do a really good job about walking you through anatomy, like why certain things happen. They have some case studies in there. Um, There's some diagnosis-specific books out there. Um, I see solution is also written by a physical therapist. So those are all great resources to try and figure out like what's going on with yourself and Mm -hmm. what resources are out there that you might want to pursue. Um, as a provider, I definitely like reading those books that a lot of patients will gravitate towards. Um, So those are my fun reading lists I'm a nerd but knowing nerd what those alert, patients nerd alert. Right, <laughs> I mean, It's important because if these patients right. are coming in and they've read um the endo solution or mm. IC solution or pelvic yeah. pain explain like I need to know what they know mm-hmm.
0: um or what might what myths you have, have to correct know. yeah mm-hmm.
2: exactly yeah. um And then there's journals. There's the um, Pelvic Health Academy, where they release a journal every quarter. So reading that research. Um, The International Pelvic Pain Society has some really nice resources on their website for both patients and providers. Um, And that's constantly updated, and it's a multidisciplinary board. They have MDs, PhDs, PTs, whole gamut of, of practitioners. So that's, that's a lot of information. Um, and if you just feel completely overwhelmed and you don't know where to start, reach out to a public floor physical therapist. Like most of us, like we love talking about this stuff. Like it's not out there enough. Um, and my family must be sick about hearing about all this stuff, but (laughs) call, call the public health physical therapist and say like, I'm looking, trying to do research or find more information on X, Y, and Z. Like, can you point me in the right direction? Um, Green. And they should be able to, to give you some resources or things to look into. Um, and if they can, that's also a red flag. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's a ton of stuff out there. I mean, I'd say a good majority of my patients, uh, if they don't come from word of mouth, they're coming from Google. Um, because right. I mean, with the internet, that's so easy to find information now. Um, and so good, bad and otherwise, rec- but yes. exactly. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a ton on Google, uh, just make sure they're from reputable sources, not like Dr. Oz or something like that. Um,
0: right. no offense. Dr. Yeah. I mean, there's,
2: <laughs> there's no offense, but yeah. Don't, don't um, come for me. <laughs> So yeah, there's a ton of stuff out there, Um, and just make sure that it's from a credible source, um, and make a list of questions if you go see a provider after reading it, um, because you have some good conversations about it.
0: Great. Well, we're coming down to our final question and our final time together, final minutes together. So for someone who is still on the fence, someone who is still not quite sure if this is modality for them if they're not quite sure you can help them a pelvic floor physical therapist still seems a little like out there what would you suggest to do and what parting words of wisdom do you have for those who are ready willing able and raring to go
2: mm-hmm are um, still on the fence um, call call the pelvic floor physical therapist um, a lot of times we'll we'll do like three consults 15 30 minutes um, come in, meet with them. One, see if you like them. Mm -hmm. Um, two, like we can do a lot of like education. Like this is my philosophy. This is what we would do. Like, tell me a little bit about your symptoms. Um, and that goes a long way because a lot of times it's just more like, well, I don't know, like, do I really want to invest in this? Um, and meeting with that person and be like, okay, that makes sense. And if it resonates with you and they're like, okay, like I haven't had that before and I've tried all these other things and it hasn't worked. Like it, try it. If if you're like, Mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah, like that does sound like it could help, but I'm just not ready. Sit on it, go home, talk to, talk to someone that you know and trust about it, do a little bit more research, call the pelvic floor therapist again. Um, you're not bugging them. Don't ever feel like you're bugging them. That's their job. Um, most of them will be fine with it. Um, and again, that like goes back to like, go with your gut. Like if you're just not ready, that's okay. Like continue mm-hmm. to get the information, sit on it, talk to someone. Um, and if you are ready, like we're ready too. like, come All on right. in, like we're going to do this. Um, yeah. And like, just go with your gut. It never leaves you astray um, and never feel like you're too weird or your mm-hmm. symptoms are too strange um, or that you must be the only person who's dealing with this. So no one can help you. Um, right, yeah. we see a lot of weird things. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone like myself, I, the weirder, the better, right? Um, chances <laughs> are, <laughs> chances are you're not that weird. Um, right. and everyone deserves to be able to have a life where they're not constantly thinking about their symptoms or changing their schedule or saying no to things that they want to do because, well, where's the bathroom or mm. am I going to be able to sit for that long? Um, right. Everyone deserves to feel better and everyone has the potential to improve whether or not it's from whatever pain you're at to a zero out of 10 pain, like that might not be realistic, but if you're living at a six, seven, eight out of 10 pain, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be there. Like that is, that's unacceptable. And there are, there are ways to get you to feeling better. Absolutely. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, definitely keep find keep seeking out people and if you find someone that says you're crazy or just have a glass of wine and take a bath run find someone else and keep going other direction
0: and run quickly
2: (laughs) exactly, and keep going until you find that person that's willing to sit down with you and talk to you and be patient um because you deserve it
0: absolutely well thank you dr gabriella I appreciate thank you taking you. time to share your wisdom, your experience, and just your overall advice with people who, all of us, and people who desperately need your type of knowledge and application to their specific complex health condition. So, thank you so much. And thank you. cheers to you. Thank you cheers, for yes. virtual cheers. And again, virtual cheers. And thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and we'll see you next week.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening and sharing your time with us. We hope you will join us for our next episode. Now stick with us for one o'clock with Vino blues, Wakia Henry.
1: Hello, 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 my friends. It is Waikia again. Um, I'm back again, here to waste a little bit more of your time with some wine. And um, as I presented last week, we're going to be exploring this beautiful wine of Pinot Noir. I forgot to mention the uh, the brand, so it's by uh, McMurray um in State Vineyards. This is my very first time tasting this wine, which will be Many times, I'll be the first time because there's so many wines to taste, but um, we will be exploring this wine. And the great thing about this uh, particular um, wine is it comes from the vineyard of Russian um, River Valley, which is in California. Um, So typically, uh, we know California is a warm warm, um, state um as you know it is you know people go there for the weather the beautiful beaches but in the wine area um they have very in the wine regions they have uh, various um, weathers that are great for growing all different types of grapes so unlike the other grapes we've been tasting pinot noir actually is a grape that has to be grown in the cold regions Um, And luckily California is a region that has warm weather and also has a beautiful ocean gulf that comes in, sweeps in, and cools down their valleys where this particular um, grape and vineyard is located. So Pinot Noir there um, are just as great. It's also one of the top regions um, for growing Pinot Noir. So, like I told you before, um, when I pick wines, I always look for the grape and then the region to see if that actual grape grows well in that region. So that's why I picked this one. And um, I hope that you were able to grab it or see it. I guess you weren't able to see it, but I hope you were able to grab it um, from Total Wine. But if not, please pick it up after today because I expect to have some beautiful notes in this. Um, But we'll we'll talk about it, you know, when we drink it. Um, And of course... In front of me guys I have my board I hope that you've made your own board as well but let's see so I you know I have my usual this would be more so like your typical board okay you have your strawberries I have my applewood cheese here then I have my Morrison cheese here this is a lot of spread cheese, which is really good then I have my um, my truffle cheese this is really really good Um, with some um, crackers. Um, My boyfriend actually likes to eat it with olives. And some um, array of nuts, and of course my grapes here. I chose the actual black grapes this time, they're sweeter. Um, And then I have my sinful cookies here for me. So anyway, like I said, you guys, go ahead and um, fix your boards up, you know, however you want your favorite, you know, treats or snacks, it doesn't have to be your typical board. Um, Last week, I had pizza, which was really good. So, fix your boards up, and I hope you got your wine. Let's go ahead and explore this beauty. Um, So, like I said before, you know, the war is one of those grapes that's very common. Um, But, however, it has to be grown where it's cooler. So, um, if this grape is actually in a warmer region, it tends to become very jammy. Uh, and it kind of loses its flavor. So the best Pinot Noirs will be grown where there's like a nice cool weather. Um, allows the grape to actually slowly ripen. Um, whereas in a warmer region, it will ripen too quickly. So um, this particular grape has to slowly ripen. And what we're going to be looking for is some beautiful red fruits, okay, in this wine. Um, So Pinot Noir sometimes, depending on where it's grown, can be very vegetal, which it can have like um, herbal, vegetable type flavors in it, but hopefully, uh, which is not bad, but because of this region, we're hoping to get more of a fruity um, strawberries or red fruit, strawberries, cherries, raspberries from this wine. Um, And then most times they will oak it. um, that is sit in oak um, for a number of years so maybe we get some sweet spices right so let's go ahead and take a try and you pour as much as you want but I'm going to keep it here to keep it cute (laughs) so um, one thing about Pinot Noir Pinot Noir is one of your your lighter red your lighter red wines so um it's not going to be as deep and dark as maybe a cabernet um or any of your shiraz drinks that we've been tasting however um this wine actually is really great when you're just wanting to have a nice light drinking red wine so i love it just the same i think i love all wines but that's just me but um so we're going to taste this, and remember, we're tasting with our senses, so the first thing we're going to do is take a look, see through the wine, make sure that it's clear, that there are no sediments in it. This looks very good. But let me tell you right off the bat, I think last day we talked about smelling wines that have been corked. Right off the bat, when I open this wine, I smell the aromas just gushing out of the glass. So that is a great, great thing. You want to have wine, when you open it, you smell the aromas. Um, That means that you're going to have a great amount of character, some complexity, which actually could make this wine outstanding. Um, So you want wine just to, you don't have to even, for me, I don't even have to bring this wine to my nose and I can smell the aromas, which is wonderful so what we're going to do our senses and remember the second sense was smell so we're going to take a a whiff and for me my right nostril is the actual the dominant one but i'm going to smell my love today because it's so oh my god and i just took a whiff and it smells so great i am smelling all of the all of the um the red fruits that we mentioned strawberry raspberry I even smell like some honeysuckle in there, so that means that it has some oak aging. So we'll have our sweet spices, and my mouth is watering already because I'm a greedy girl wine drinker. Oh, it's beautiful! So uh, right off of the bat, I am expecting some delicious flavors off of this. So let's go for it and take a sip. Mm 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 to McMurray okay let's give him a shout out this wine is delicious I am tasting everything that I smell your strawberries ripe strawberries at that your cherries your red fruit your plums all those rare fruits you can think about and I'm tasting some of that oakiness so you're I'm tasting that sweet spiciness in it and it's just beautiful Oh my God, the nose is beautiful. The bouquet of aromas is coming out here is great. The acid and in, in the, um, the alcohol and the flavors are actually balanced very well. There's no, this wine does not have a high level of tanning. So for those who don't like really dry, dry wines, this would be perfect. Um, but this wine is delicious. And actually, you know, I should have uh, poured it with my aerator, so actually if you get one of these, Stick it in your red wines or any of your wines. It actually helps to air out the wine as you pour in it. So those flavors can be more renowned when you start to drink it. But this is just beautiful. Um, You you have to try it. Um, McMurray Pinot Noir. They've done a great job with this bottle of wine. I recommend it, enjoy it. It's lovely to the nose. Full mouth, it actually has a long lasting flavor, which is, which is one of the rankings for quality wines. So next um, episode, what I'll do is I will go down the rankings of wine so that we can mark off when we can um, label the wine as outstanding or just mediocre. Um, but for me, I will probably rank this wine as outstanding uh, because of all the things I said before Enjoy it. Please grab this bottle. Let me know what you think um, and Have your great chicory board with you I'm not going to dig into this because I'm a little like a, a glutton So I'm going to just dig into it when I get off the air But I'm definitely going to have another bottle of this wine and just dig into this um, and I want to um, introduce our next um, episode wine This bottle I have had before, guys. So what's so daring about this actual bottle? It is actually the McBride Sisters. And if you have not heard of this brand, these are African-American ladies that have made wine. So I like to often drink black wines and, you know, support that brand, um, that culture of black wines because I'm in the industry as well. So this bottle I've had, it is delicious. And I, of course, am a red wine preference, but however, I love tapping into a great bottle of um, Sauvignon Blanc. So next session, we'll be exploring our McBride Sisters Sauvignon Blanc, and it's actually from one of the beautiful regions of New Zealand, which is Marlborough. They are known and renowned for growing some of the best on your Blancs because of that region's culture, that region's climate, that region's tour. So we would talk about this. Grab your bottle. They're at Total Wine, my guys. And this this bottle only costs about mm, $17. So grab your bottle of this and um, let's enjoy this wine together, uh, say about $20 to seventy I'm not sure, don't quote me on that, <laughs> but grab the bottle, it's well worth it, you're going to love it, and when, when we do taste this wine, make sure you chill it in the refrigerator um, before we go on, and um, you know, so that it has the right temperature, so that the flavors will actually come out pretty well, so, till next time, we will test that one, and I am going to continue to enjoy, enjoy this one, if you have any comments or questions, I think um, all the information is in description on how to reach me. But again, you can reach me in Waikia. I'm on um, all the social websites at at Bar Vino Blue, and that's the blue without the e. You can also visit us on um, our website at www.barvinobluebluewithoutthee.com. Um, again, we're from Vino Blue Mobile Wine Bar. Check us out, um, call us up for services. We'll be happy to serve you beautiful wines and explore. So, guys, enjoy your bottle of Pinot tonight. Let me know what you think. I look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you again for letting me waste your time with some wine. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you, Wakia, for providing us with another opportunity to wind down together. Take a look at the show notes for more information about today's guest, links to the website, contact information, and social media channels. We really hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Think about one gem you can take away from this episode and apply it to your own life. Also, please take a moment to like the episode, subscribe to the channel, comment, and share with your family, friends, and colleagues. Till we meet again, remember to nourish your flourish and see you real soon. Salud!